Our Old Testament reading this morning is from Exodus chapter 28, verses 1 through 5. And this is, again, part of the instructions God is giving uh, to Moses on Mount Sinai for the people who are going to be his people. And before we read, let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word which you have given to us. God, we do pray that you'd help us this morning as we hear your word read and proclaimed uh, to have ears to hear, minds to think, and hearts that are ready to receive your word into our lives. And that we would be uh, changed evermore, even today, to be the people that you have made us to be in relationship with you through Jesus. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Exodus 28, verses 1 through 5. It says, Have Aaron, your brother, uh, brought to you from among the Israelites, along with his sons, Nadab and Abihu, Eleazar and Ithamar, so they may serve me as priests. Make sacred garments for your brother Aaron and give him dignity and honor. Tell all the skilled workers to whom I have given wisdom in such matters that they are to make garments for Aaron for his consecration, so he may serve me as priest. These are the garments they are to make, a breastpiece, an ephod, a robe, a woven tunic, a turban, and a sash. They are to make these sacred garments for your brother Aaron and his sons, so they may serve me as priests. Have them use gold and blue, purple, and scarlet yarn and fine linen. Turning then to our gospel reading from Luke chapter 8, verses 16 through 18. Jesus in teaching says, No one lights a lamp and hides it in a clay jar or puts it under a bed. Instead, they put it on a stand so that those who come in can see the light. For there is nothing hidden that will not be disclosed and nothing concealed that will not be known or brought out into the open. Therefore, consider carefully how you listen. Whoever has will be given more. Whoever does not have, even what they think they have will be taken from them. This is the word of the Lord. In a commentary on 1 Corinthians, N.T. Wright says, Christianity, you see, isn't a set of ideas. It isn't a path of spirituality. It isn't a rule of life. It isn't a political agenda. It includes and indeed gives energy to all those things, but at its very heart, it is something different. It is good news about an event which has happened in the world, an event because of which the world can never be the same again. And those who believe it and live by it will, thank God, never be the same again either. Isn't that good? Oh, that's good. That is the same kind of thing that's what uh, Paul is, has been telling the church in Corinth. As we've been reading through this uh, letter of 1 Corinthians, and Paul has been writing to them and basically saying, something has happened that has changed everything. This has changed who you are as a people. It is why you are to be living differently than the rest of the Corinthians. It's why your worship services are to be a certain way. It's why everything goes on and on. It all goes back to a historical event. What is the event? I hope most of you know. <laughs> this is uh, 
where we pick up in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 15 as he kind of turns the corner uh, into sort of one more issue. He's been kind of taking one issue at a time and saying, okay, here's what you've asked about about this. Here's this one, though, as he has addressed all these other things, has been the issue that he's actually been using to address all the other issues, but now he's going to address it specifically. Here we go. He says, Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you have received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel you are saved, if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you. Otherwise, you have believed in vain. For what I received I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day, according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me also as to one abnormally born. For I am the least of the apostles and do not even deserve to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace to me was not without effect. Now I worked harder than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God that was in me. Whether then it is I or they, this is what we preach, and this is what you believed. So what is the event? What is it that's happened? What is it that has changed everything? Not only in the church, especially in the church, but in the whole world. It is Christ died for our sins. He was buried. He was raised on the third day. And he appeared. How many people did he appear to? Four or five people? Seven? Twelve? Twelve people? More than 500. (laughs) We have that one uh, in verse 6. He appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. This would have been uh, a good way for Corinthians to verify. You want to you talk to them? <laughs> these witnesses are still around. But these, uh, these things that he passes on is of first importance. These events, Christ died, he was buried, he was raised, he appeared. There was another phrase that was in there a couple times. And this is the phrase, according to the scriptures. Did you catch it? That Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures. That he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day, according to the scriptures. Why is that tucked in there? Because this is the whole thing, right? That this is not something that uh, Jesus, Jesus was some guy, and he died, and, and then he got raised to life, and now we're not sure what to make of any of this, because that's never happened before. It's actually no... People had died, and I mean, everybody dies, but that there had been people who had been raised to life again. Lazarus was raised to life again. But that doesn't, that doesn't have the same effect. Why not? Because what happened with Jesus was not just that a man died and raised to life. It is that the Messiah, the one who has fulfilled the whole of the Old Testament, the one that had been promised from All the way back, Genesis 3, the one who'd been promised again and again that God would send the one who would uh, 
deal with sin. This is the one who died for our sins, according to the scriptures. This is why when John the Baptist sees Jesus, he says, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is the one who has died, but who didn't stay dead. And so, uh, raised again, according to the scriptures. This is also, you know, in Acts 2, this is one of the things that, um, that Peter speaks about at Pentecost, when he talks about how this is what was said in Psalm 16, of you, you not leave your holy one to see decay, but that this is what God has done, has raised him up according to the scriptures. That this is what uh, God has been talking about for a very, very long time. This was the plan, and now he has actually done it. Now, there are four things, but only two of them say according to the scriptures. Why? Because these four things don't really have equal weight. There's really the two things that are according to the scriptures, that Jesus died and was raised. Died for our sins and then was uh, raised on the third day. That's according to the scriptures. Well, what about the other two things? Why does it matter that he was buried? That's the evidence of his death. It's not just uh, for anybody who's, you know, Princess Bride fan. Not that he was mostly dead. <laughs> Big difference between mostly dead and all dead. What Paul is saying is he died and he was buried. He was all dead. He died, like for real, died. That matters. And how do you know that he died? Like what's one of the ways that we can tell that he actually died, that it wasn't like he just sort of, um, you know, felt bad one day and we're like, I don't know, he's probably, probably dead. No. He was hung on a cross and hung there till he died and until uh, the Romans allowed him to be taken down. They're not going to let you take him down unless he's dead. And they bury him because he's dead. That's the evidence. And so he died for our sins and was buried. And then he's raised on the third day and then it says that he appeared and he goes through all these appearances. Why is that important? Same reason. It's the evidence, Right? It's the evidence that he really was raised from the dead. If it's like he he was raised from the dead, oh, did anybody see that? No, but we think it probably happened. Nobody saw it? No. He's like, no, that's not what this is. There, he appeared to me. He appeared to Peter. He appeared to James. uh, uh, Cephas is Peter, by the way. Uh, He appeared uh, to James. He appeared to the 12. He appeared to the apostles. He appeared to more than 500 people at one time. These are people that you can go Check it out. Quiz, quiz them on it. Grill them on it. What was that like? People saw him alive. He appeared to people. Um, this is the evidence of that. Why does it matter that there's evidence that he died and that he was raised? Because this is the whole thing. This is the whole thing. This is what Christianity is. This is the event that <laughs> the N.T. Wright was saying. It includes these other aspects. But without this, those other things don't make any sense. Without the death of Jesus and the resurrection of Jesus, the rest of it, it it's like the, uh, the icing on the cake. But if the cake doesn't exist, you just got to pile of icing. And I mean, when I was younger, I thought that sounded kind of good. But now that sounds gross. This is uh, the whole thing. And we'll talk more. Next week, as uh, Paul puts that into, uh, into those terms. But he says, even here in this passage, uh, 
you know, three times. Verse 1, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you have received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel you are saved, if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you, otherwise you have believed in vain. Then in verse 3, he says, For what I received I passed on to you as of first importance. And then in verse 11, talking about himself as well as the other apostles, he says, Whether then it is I or they, this is what we preach. And this is what you believed. And so for the uh, Corinthians, if they are trying to take some of the, uh, you know, some of the good things about uh, Christianity, but I don't know about the whole uh, being raised from the dead thing. That probably, I don't know about that. And he's like, well, if you don't have that, you don't have any of it. This is what we preach. This is what we preach because this is what is, brings the whole of the story from Genesis all the way to Revelation. This is the event that makes sense of all of it. It is what fulfills all of it. And it is also not just what fulfills that story, but that story is what makes sense of our lives. It's what makes sense of this world. It's what makes sense of everything. And so if you take that out, what do you have? And he says, that if you, otherwise, you believed in vain. And the rest of it, you're cutting the foundation out from under it without this. And so this is why he really hits this hard, that this is what uh, has happened, that Jesus has died for our sins. He was buried. And that he was uh, raised on the third day and appeared to Cephas and the twelve, more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time. He appeared to James, to all the apostles. Last of all, he appeared to me. This is uh, what he's been on about right here, but it's really what he's been on about through the whole of the letter of 1 Corinthians. Jack, if you'll go to the next slide. Go ahead and go to the next slide, please. So this is the way the Bible Project has uh, drawn the structure of the book of 1 Corinthians. And I think it's really helpful because one of the things they uh, point out is um, that it's seeing every part of life through the gospel. And so what happens is, uh, is they're having all these problems, and so what he does is he defines the problem, and then he responds with the gospel. So go ahead and go to the next one. And so in the beginning of the book, it was all about divisions, this popularity contest. And that's the problem they were having, and then what does he do? It's like, well, because of the resurrection, we have a reason for unity. And so what he's done is he's taken the event of the death of Jesus for our sins and the resurrection of Jesus, vindicating him as the one who has died for our sins and the one who is the Messiah. And uh, because of this, we have a reason for unity. He's applied that situation to the situation they were in, right? He applies the event to their situation. Next thing, he moves on from talking about divisions and one more. There you go. And then he starts talking about sex. He says, okay, they're having all these issues with sex in their community. Okay, well, how do you know what to do? How do we handle this situation? You apply the gospel. Well, if Jesus really is the one who has died for our sins and he has really been raised again, this means that we handle sex differently than the, uh, the Corinthian neighbors. And so we have motivation for sexual integrity. Our bodies will be raised from the dead. So what you do with your body matters. Go to the next one. Then he uh, talks about food and had all these disagreements. Do we eat the food sacrificed? Do we not eat? Well, 
How do you solve this? What do you do? Well, you look at Jesus' death and resurrection, and what does that then mean? And it gets cut off here, but it's <laughs> power to love uh, others more than ourselves. And so because of the resurrection, this is what that does for us. And so then we can uh, thank God for the food we eat. We can also refuse to eat if it's going to cause somebody else a problem. But it's putting others first, like Jesus did for us when he went to the cross. And so go to the next one. Similarly, this is what we get in the gathering of the people all together and the uh, don't distract others, how we operate with the spirit and the spiritual gifts, have orderly meetings. We talked about that last week. And it's, it's loving others because of the resurrection. This is what this looks like. And so you take the situation and then you apply, um, you apply the, uh, the gospel. All right, go to the next one. And then that's what then brings us to this one. And really where we are here is this is a situation where they, they were saying, yeah, but we don't, we don't know if we uh, think that actually we're going to have bodies when we're raised again. You know, I think maybe this is more of a, uh, an idea of... Re- no. It's like, Jesus was raised. You will be raised if you're in him. This is what this is. And we'll talk more about that over the next several weeks. This is what he spends this whole chapter on, is... Uh, the hope that we have uh, for our own resurrection because of the resurrection of Jesus. And so this is what he's been uh, on about. You can go on to the next one there. Yeah. So that's, then I'll have some final greetings in chapter 16. But, but this is the whole structure of the book. And this is what we miss if, uh, if we take those things that N.T. Wright was saying at the beginning. You know, he says, you know, it's not just a this, it's not a this, it's not a this. If we take any of those things and think this is what Christianity is and we start following those and we kind of leave behind that, you know, stuff about Jesus, stuff about him dying for our sins, stuff about him being raised to life again, we'll just leave that aside and we'll focus on these other things that also get the Christian label. That, that's probably good enough, right? And what Paul is saying is no, no. <laughs> The resurrection, the death of Jesus and the resurrection of Jesus is central to everything. In fact, it's actually how then we know what to do in all these other situations. Like if there's not a specific law or rule about this, how do we know? What do we do? We go back to the death of Jesus for our sins, the resurrection of Jesus to new life, and what this means in connection with the whole rest of the story and say, okay, now then... (laughs) How do we live? And that is what then makes sense of the rest of it and leads us in the way forward. Um, so I'll leave you one more time then with, um, with what N.T. Wright says uh, about this particular passage. This Christianity, you see, isn't a set of ideas. It isn't a path of spirituality. It isn't a rule of life. It isn't a political agenda. It includes and indeed gives energy to all those things. But at its very heart, it is something different. It is good news about an event which has happened in the world, an event because of which the world can never be the same again. And those who believe it will thank God never be the same again either. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.